Welcome to the What is Stoicism podcast. In a previous episode of the podcast, I provided a reading of book one of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, in which he records all the things he has learned from the people in his life. In this episode, I'm following that up with the reading of book two. Book two, and indeed the rest of the Meditations, is different from book one in that it takes the form of short notes Marcus made to himself based on what he had learned from studying philosophy. So without further delay, here's book two of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. I hope you enjoy. Book two, written among the quadi on the river Granua. Say to yourself in the early morning, I shall meet today inquisitive, ungrateful, violent, treacherous, envious, uncharitable men. All these things have come upon them through ignorance of real good and ill. But I, because I have seen that the nature of good is the right, and of ill the wrong, and that the nature of the man himself who does wrong is akin to my own, not of the same blood and seed, but partaking with me in mind that is in a portion of divinity, I can neither be harmed by any of them, for no man will involve me in wrong, nor can I be angry with my kinsman or hate him. For we have come into the world to work together, like feet, like hands, like eyelids, like the rows of upper and lower teeth. To work against one another, therefore, is to oppose nature, and to be vexed with another, or to turn away from him, is to tend to antagonism. This, whatever it is that I am, is flesh and vital spirit, and the governing self. To stain the flesh, blood and bones and network, a twisted skein of nerves, veins and arteries. Consider also what the vital spirit is, a current of air, not even continuously the same, but every hour being expelled and sucked in again. There is then a third part, the governing self. Put away your books, be distracted no longer, they are not your portion. Rather, as if on the point of death, reflect like this, you are an old man, Suffer this governing part of you no longer to be in bondage, no longer to be a puppet pulled by selfish impulse, no longer to be indignant with what is allotted in the present or to suspect what is allotted in the future. The work of the gods is full of providence. The work of fortune is not divorced from nature or the spinning and winding of the threads ordained by providence. All flows from that other world and there is, besides, necessity and the well-being of the whole universe, whereof you are a part. Now to every part of nature that is good, which the nature of the whole brings, and which preserves that nature. And the whole world is preserved as much by the changes of the compound bodies as by the changes of the elements which compose those bodies. Let this be sufficient for you. These be continually your doctrines. But put away your thirst for books, that so you may not die murmuring, but truly reconciled and grateful from your heart to the gods. Remember how long you have been putting off these things, and how many times the gods have given you days of grace, and yet you do not use them. Now is it high time to perceive the kind of universe whereof you are a part, and the nature of the governor of the universe, from whom you subsist as an affluence, and that the term of your time is circumscribed, and that unless you use it to attain calm of mind, time will be gone, and you will be gone, and the opportunity to use it will not be yours again. 
Each hour be minded, valiantly as becomes a Roman and a man, to do what is to your hand, with precise and unaffected dignity, natural love, freedom and justice, and to give yourself repose from every other imagination. And so you will, if only you do each act as though it were your last, freed from every random aim, from willful turning away from the directing reason, from pretense, self-love and displeasure with what is allotted to you. You see how few things a man need master in order to live a smooth and God-fearing life, for the gods themselves will require nothing more of him who keeps these precepts. You are doing yourself violence, violence my soul, and you will have no second occasion to do yourself honour. Brief is the life of each of us, and this of yours is nearly ended, and yet you do not reverence yourself, but commit your well-being to the charge of other men's souls. Do things from outside break in to distract you? Give yourself a time of quiet to learn some new good thing and cease to wander out of your course. But when you've done that, be on your guard against the second kind of wandering. For those who are sick to death in life, with no mark on which they direct every impulse or in general every imagination, are triflers, not in words only, but also in their deeds. Men are not easily seen to be brought into evil case by failure to consider what passes in another's soul, but they who do not read or write the motions of their own soul are bound to be an evil case. Always remember the following, what the nature of the whole is, what my own nature, the relation of this nature to that, what kind of part it is of what kind of whole, and that no man can hinder your saying and doing at all times what is in accordance with that nature whereof you are a part. Like a true philosopher, Theophrastus says, when comparing, as men commonly do compare, various faults, that errors of appetite are graver than errors of temper. For clearly one who loses his temper is turning away from reason with a kind of pain and inward spasm, whereas he who offends through appetite is the victim of pleasure and is clearly more vicious in a way and more effeminate in his wrongdoing. Rightly then, and in a truly philosophic spirit, Theophrastus said that an offence attended with pleasure involves greater censure than one attended with pain. And generally, the latter resembles more a man who was originally wronged and so was forced by pain to lose his temper. The other has begun it himself and has been impelled to do wrong, carried away by appetite to do what he does. In the conviction that it is possible you may depart from life at once, Act and speak and think in every case accordingly. But to leave the company of men is nothing to fear, if gods exist, for they would not involve you in ill. If, however, they do not exist, or if they take no care for man's affairs, why should I go on living in a world void of gods or void of providence? But they do exist, and they do care for men's lives, and they have put it entirely in a man's power not to fall into real ills. For the rest... If anything were an ill, they would have provided also for this, that it may be in every man's power not to fall into it. And how could what does not make a man worse make his life worse? But the nature of the whole would not have winked at these things either out of ignorance, or because, though it knew of them, 
it had not the power to guard against them, or to put them right, neither would it have made so vast an error, from want of power or skill, as to permit good and ill to befall indifferently, both good and bad men equally. Now death and life, good report and evil report, pain and pleasure, wealth and poverty, these all befall men, good and bad alike equally, and are themselves neither right nor wrong, they are therefore neither good nor ill. How all things are vanishing swiftly, bodies themselves in the universe, and the memorials of them in time, what is the character of all the things of sense, and most of all those which attract by the bait of pleasure, or terrify by the threat of pain, or are shouted abroad by vanity, how cheap, contemptible, soiled, corruptible, and mortal. These are for the faculty of the mind to consider. To consider too what kind of men those are whose judgments and voices confer honour and dishonour. What it is to die, and that if a man looks at it by itself and by the separating activity of thought strips off all the images associated with death, he will come to judge it to be nothing else but nature's handiwork. But if a man fears nature's handiwork, he is a mere child, and yet death is not merely nature's handiwork, but also her well-being. To consider also how mortal man touches God, and through what organ of himself, and when that part of him is in what sort of condition. Nothing is more wretched than the man who goes round and round everything, and, as Pindar says, searches the bowels of the earth, and seeks by conjecture to sound the minds of his neighbours, but fails to perceive that it is enough to abide with the divinity that is within himself and to do him genuine service. Now that service is to keep him unsullied by passion, trifling and discontent with what comes from God or man. What comes from the gods is to be revered because of excellence. What comes from men is dear because they are of one kindred with himself. Pitiful too sometimes, humanly speaking, by reason of their ignorance of good and ill, this disablement is more grievous than that which robs the eyes of the power to distinguish light from darkness. Even were you about to live three thousand years, or thrice ten thousand, nevertheless remember this, that no one loses any other life than this which he is living, nor lives any other than this which he is losing. Thus the longest and shortest come to the same thing, for the present is equal for all, and what is passing is therefore equal. Thus what is being lost is proved to be barely a moment. For a man could lose neither past nor future. How can one rob him of what he has not got? Always remember then these two things. One, that all things from everlasting are of the same kind and are in rotation. And it matters nothing whether it be for a hundred years or for two hundred or for an infinite time that a man shall behold the same spectacle. The other, that the longest lived and the soonest to die have an equal loss, for it is the present alone of which either will be deprived, since, as we saw, this is all he has, and a man does not lose what he has not got. Everything is what you judge it to be. While the retort made to the cynic philosopher Monimus is plain enough, plain too is the use of the saying, if one only take the gist of it, so far as it is true. The soul of a man does violence to itself, 
First and foremost, when it becomes so far as in it lies, a separate growth, a blame, as it were, upon the universe. For to turn against anything that comes to pass is a separation from nature, by which the natures of each of the rest are severally comprehended. Secondly, when it turns away from any human being or is swept counter to him, meaning to injure him, as is the case with the natures of those who are enraged. It violates itself thirdly, when it is the victim of pleasure or pain. Fourthly, when it acts apart and says or does anything both feignedly and falsely. Fifthly, when failing to direct any act or impulse of its own upon a mark, it behaves in any matter without a plan or a conscious purpose, whereas even the smallest act ought to have a reference to the end. Now the end of reasonable creatures is this, to obey the rule and ordinance of the most venerable of all cities and governments. Of man's life, his time is a point, his existence a flux, his sensation clouded, his body's entire composition corruptible, his vital spirit an eddy of breath, his fortune hard to predict, his fame uncertain. Briefly, all the things of the body a river, all the things of the spirit, dream and delirium, his life a warfare, and a sojourn in a strange land, his after-fame oblivion. What then can be his escort through life? One thing and one thing only, philosophy. And this is to keep the spirit within him unwronged and unscathed, master of pains and pleasures, doing nothing at random, nothing falsely and with pretense, needing no other to do aught or to leave aught undone, and moreover accepting what befalls it, that is, what is assigned to it, as coming from that other world from which it came itself, and in all things awaiting death with a mind that is satisfied, counting it nothing else than a release of the elements from which each living creature is composed. Now if there is no hurt to the elements themselves, in their ceaseless changing each into other, why should a man apprehend anxiously the change and dissolution of them all? For this is according to nature, and no evil is according to nature. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the What is Stoicism podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please consider taking a second to leave a rating and a review. It's a good way to let me know you're getting value from the content and it helps more people discover the show. I appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I recommend checking out the Stoic Handbook podcast by John Brooks. It's one I've been a fan of myself for a while. It has great reviews. John publishes regular episodes that are always filled with practical wisdom and it's available on all the usual podcast platforms. You can also find it on the web at stoichandbook.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening.